Hello. Yeah, that works. Hello. Welcome to episode. This is four. Episode of four. This podcast called Talking Picture Talk. Tonight we're going to focus on directors, but uh, primarily a specific group of directors, and that's going to be um, current working directors who are under 40 years old. Uh, we're going to start with. Let's start with. with, <laughs> with. Let's start with the one that, that everyone will, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know if we should save him because people are probably not going to listen to much talk about uh, David Lowry, but, but you know, we'll, we'll kick it off with uh, with the most popular director under 40, uh, that is if Jordan Peele's not over 40, but I think he is, uh, Damien Chazelle. Sean, you saw his most recent movie and his third, just third feature film. his third feature film called First Man. I uh, just saw it last night and it was incredible. Um, how, many, how many people do you think have been like, yeah, it's a movie about Louis Armstrong. <laughs> it's like one of those common confusing things yeah, that's it's understandable yeah, jack nicholas um, the actor wait actually that's funny because louis armstrong was a musician right yeah he's like a jazz musician he's like a trumpet player yeah that's like damien chisholm uh, yeah, that's, that's right in his wheelhouse that's wow. funny um but this is about neil armstrong the astronaut uh very little jazz involved <laughs> that's surprising um but it's incredible. Do we? I don't even know. Do you know how old he is, Damien? I, I was actually just looking that up, so you can continue. Uh, okay. Uh, I actually don't know how to spell his name. I guess it's Ian, like like Damien. Satan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he's born in '85, so he's four years older than me, which will make him 33. Jesus. Roughly 33. He might be 34. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a you know, it, it, it's I, I think that it's every you know Spielberg was probably probably in his in his early 30s when he made you know headway i guess jaws he was 75 so yeah he was probably like in his early 30s maybe a little closer to 40 um of course paul thomas anderson was like he was like 11 when he made boogie nights he was a super <laughs> rare rare version of, of you know the topic today um what was he like 25 Something when like he that. made well when he made hard eight he i believe the story was he went to um you know it's funny because i always regarded paul thomas anderson sort of like uh sort of in the same, you know, air as the Coen brothers where like no interviews, never talked to just, he's like dark artist. Paul Thomas Anderson just does like any podcast. He's just like a, he's like a goofy guy. He's just kind of a weird guy who really likes movies. And, uh, yeah, I feel like that was more recently started to open up. It, it seems it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, not terribly sure why, but, um, I, I believe the story was he, he went to, he went to like, I think he went to NYU, um, for film school, I believe. And his dad was like a very popular, um, either like a radio host or a TV host or something. And he, he gave him money and Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, allegedly in his first class handed in, um, it was like a script writing class and he handed in something written by David Mamet and he got a C on it. So he just left and he was like, I, I can't do this. He took the money for college to make hard eight. Um, and I was just listening to a podcast actually, uh, I think it was Bill Simmons with John C. Riley, And he asked John C. Riley, like, did you know in hard eight that this guy who at the time was, I think it was like 24. Did you know that this guy was, gonna be like a great director what is going on with the mics oh it sounds like a like a buzz or something i don't know what that is well we'll, we'll fix it up in post <laughs> did, that, uh, did, did that work i think that might have worked yeah sounds better All right, cool. um so john c Riley said like i knew when i read the script he was going to be great so paul thomas anderson is is probably a, a better i mean at least at first his earlier movies probably better written than directed although boogie nights is pretty incredible and yeah i think he was like 27 but you know it's i think that every 
couple of years, maybe every decade, there's somebody who comes along, and it probably started with Orson Welles because he was what 25 when he made right. Citizen Kane. Yeah. So I, I think that it it uh, what do they say? Super bad. Like he ate his fat ass to death because he died like pretty young. Um, yeah, that's terrible. But uh, but Chazelle is is that guy of of this generation, and and I, you know that movie. Um, I really like it. Uh, the end of the tour about uh, David Foster yeah. Wallace. Yep. In that, um, so that movie's about uh, a true story about a Rolling Stone journalist played by Jesse Eisenberg who goes to interview David Foster Wallace as he's finishing up his book tour for Infinite Jest. And mm-hmm. um, Eisenberg's character is, he basically, he's like a kind of a, sort of a failed, I mean, he has one novel and didn't really do anything. So he's kind of jealous of Foster Wallace and he's reading, um, he's reading a review of Infinite Jest, like the first scene of the movie and it's kind of his introduction to him. And the reviewer said something um, along the lines of, it's as if Paul Bunyan joined the NFL. Like, all the awards are done. And that's kind of how I felt when I saw Whiplash with yeah. Chazelle. Because he was, I guess, Scott, he was 28 at the time. Right. And that movie just blew everyone away. Um, then he makes, Scott, I'm looking, I, I can't honestly go to IMDb and just look at Damien Chazelle and tell me it doesn't piss you off. Tell me it doesn't anger you. Just his face. I mean, it, it's the most punchable face I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> at least, at least, not showing the chick with him, the girl that's always at the awards with him. I assume it's his girlfriend or wife. But anyway, um, Whiplash totally blew me away. La La Land was extremely impressive. Like it was a lot of things where you said, "I don't know how he did that," and that's yeah. that's super impressive. And I and he probably deserved to win Best Director for that, which he did. Um, I wasn't crazy about it because it's just not my it's not my cup of tea. I mean, I really think Emma Stone was great in it. I thought Gosling it wasn't his strongest performance, but I thought she was great. I thought it was you know a, a very impressive achievement by him. And now to First Man, which I haven't seen yet, but you have his third movie, and and it's again just rave reviews. It's and- um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if age really factors in it, but it's just somebody that young like coordinating all of this like that's, putting it all together mm-hmm. i don't know if a like is age like really impressive in that way well but I, I think that you, you to know me it is i don't know i mean carson wentz is 26 um lebron right, james yeah. was was better than a third of the players in nba in the nba when he was when he was 19 um so i, I guess it would make sense that it happens in film i just think and i, I think that there's i i I, have, I i do not know uh chazelle's backstory at all i mean there's of course the stories of of the Tarantino's of the world who, you know, he is, is notorious for saying, I never went to film school. I went to films. Um, but there's, there's just in, in anything, there's that like Tarantino is just a savant. Paul Thomas Anderson is just, they're just yeah, natural. Right. There's, there's that in any line of work, any industry, anything. So it makes sense that it happens in, um, in, in film too. So I, I think you're right that, that age probably doesn't have a ton to do with it. Although, you know, we talked about Boogie Nights and you're dealing with Burt Reynolds and Mark Wahlberg. And it's like, this is not, yeah. not the easiest people to work with. Um, like La La Land and mm-hmm. um, uh, First Man. It's just like the biggest scale, like coordinating these scenes and getting all of these like actors together. And they're just yeah. huge productions. And then Whiplash was smaller definitely than these two, but Whiplash the is editing and the cues that takes like a whole other skill in and of itself and he can do all of it. He can do all of it pretty flawlessly and super impressive. Yeah. He's, he's Three an movies in a row. He's kind of knocked it out of the park. So tell us, um, you said that the Gosling steals a show in, in first man Gosling. Um, yeah. So him and his wife played by Clara Foy, they both like equal parts kill it in their roles and they're very, you know, it's very impressive to watch. Um, what's the what's the story? They 
they've lost like a young daughter or something. Yeah. So they is get, that is that part of the movie? Yeah. Uh, like right off the bat, they get okay. to that. Um, that's pretty tough. He went through a lot. I didn't know Neil Armstrong went through so much, but uh, like in both his work and personal life, he had a lot of struggles. So it is it is about his his life story, not just the the flight to the moon. You said it's a two, sure. two and a half hour movie, which I guess yeah, some they, people will call. They get into a we'll good amount of others um, would not. They get into a good amount of his uh yeah his personal life. It's interesting. That I think it's that different was, than what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be more boring. Is it? <laughs> it's pretty exciting and intense. And I, I know nothing about it. Is it? Is it cutaways from, like, the space part of it to his personal life, or does it go in sequence from him as I don't know, young young astronaut to the moon thing? Um, <laughs> I don't want to spoil too much, but Man, yeah, it's, this, it's, this, it's, it's sounds, an... this sounds like the Pulp Fiction of <laughs> of astronaut movies. I mean, it's definitely, I think, I can't think of it because there's so many space movies and they all seem like really cinematic. And mm-hmm. this is more like, I don't know, like bare bones. This is like showing you like how dangerous and like shitty this line of work can be. While what? the other ones make it like really like glamorize it. What, um, this is, this is the fifties. This is very sixties. Cut the, cut that out. That I didn't know when, when this happened, but all right, so it's the sixty. So yeah, obviously space it's basically like the whole is, it like starts in like nineteen sixty and like ends in like seventy. Is pretty dangerous. It's like a whole decade. Um, so you you recommend this? One hundred percent. And I recommend um, if you can see it in IMAX. Like I feel like really? I'm not, I feel like I'm not going to want to watch it like on TV. See, I didn't. It's like perfect in IMAX. I really didn't think that would be neither did a I. factor. In, yeah, okay. yeah. It's like I think it goes against everyone's expectations of what they think it's going to be. What, what's going on with this guy with, with, with this kid? Like these are, I mean, <laughs> it's one thing to, to direct, you know, a seventies period piece or what goes down as one of the best movies ever jaws when you're, when you're young, but it seemed, I, I, but I guess it almost makes sense that, and you'll probably see this more and more. And I don't know how old, I don't know the, the Russo brothers are who, who, who uh, I guess Joss Whedon's in his, in his forties, right? Sure. Yeah. The guys, JJ Abrams is probably 50 now. Um, Zack Snyder's probably late forties, but yeah. aren't you think you're going to see more? Cause this is what, I mean, no kids want to want to make movies like, you know, no, no, no 20 year old wants to make Phantom Thread. They want to make Spider-Man. Yeah. So do you think that, I mean, in the future, in the very near future, there's going to be more of, I mean, as movies are just more special effects and CGI, um, there's going to be more young people doing, is that just what they're going to learn? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Time will tell. I, I think there still is a place for, for film school. I feel like any film school is going to go against that. Well, they want, they want people to like learn film <laughs> again. I, I would a lot. Well, I mean, that's my experience with Temple University. I, I would hope that's, that's the case. But e- even when I was in school, and like taking journalism classes, so much of it was, so much of it was, all right, we're switching all to online journalism. You're going to learn how to write for the web because newspapers are dead. And obviously film is not dead and movies aren't dead. And I think there, there always has to be, there, there always has to be a space for just a really good Quentin Tarantino movie, a really good Paul Thomas Anderson movie, a really good Coen Brothers movie. But I think when it comes to people that are going to start making movies soon, and I, I don't think Damien Chazelle is, is one of these people. I think he can just make really good movies like, like those guys. Um, and I do think he's a really good director despite not, not loving La La Land just cause it's not my, not my cup of tea. But, um, I, I do think there will always be, 
a place for for more throwback type directors but but young people it seems that it has to be like some sort of huge social statement or a superhero movie like it seems like there's really a weird non middle ground if you're not if you're not making like if you're not making uh, what's the new Barry Jenkins movie? If Beale Street could talk, yeah. or, or I don't know what the next big Infinity War. <laughs> Infinity War, yeah. yeah. So uh, there, there has to be middle ground. I think Damon Giselle is a great director. I can't wait to see. Uh, I can't wait to see First Man. Um, yeah, it's just it's so. You said thirty, yeah, thirty three. That's so that's wild. That's so wild that this is his, he's three movies in and he's thirty three years old and they're at like this caliber of quality. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. awesome. It's that makes me excited. Um, well, I'm going to talk about. Uh, a guy now who who uh, is is 30, 38, I believe, um, and certainly is is uh, making. Uh, he's basically made four movies, and they're just totally all all different. But his most recent one is uh, what's out now. Just came out. I saw it over the weekend. The Old Man and the Gun, which is um, uh, written and directed by David Lowry, and and David Lowry was unknown to me up until last year when he made my favorite movie of the year, which was uh, a ghost story with Casey Affleck and, uh, Rooney Mara. So good. Um, just, just such an, I mean, you know, when you, again, not what I expected. A ghost story is not what I expected going into it at all. Um, everyone kind of laughed about, okay, there's just a, like a sheet ghost, like a Halloween sheet yeah. ghost mm-hmm. and not to give anything away, but I love, I love how he shows you, for lack, I don't know, for lack of a better word, why it's a sheet ghost. Right. And mm-hmm. it's dark. Yeah. It's really dark. Yep. But then that movie, I mean, would you call it a sci-fi? It gets really into, it's like super it's dramatic and really heavy. It becomes like a period piece at it, yeah. some parts. <laughs> like and then, yeah, kind of like he shifts through genres. There's the... Um, and, with and, each like sequence and time period. Yeah, and, that's that's kind of the takeaway cool. I had from it too. And um, uh, the, I mean, the premise is... Casey Affleck character's character dies, and this I don't give anything away, but uh, he dies. He's um, being mourned by his wife uh, Rooney Mara, um, and he is just a sheet ghost, kind of walking around, but he's always around the same area, um, you know, basically of always around where he thinks she would be. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't talk. He doesn't. Doesn't you don't see him outside of the. It's he's the ghost, um, but there's you know a scene where he's at his old house and like a family moves in and it becomes like a horror movie yeah like the cabinet yeah, yeah. like he's opening the cabinets and stuff like that and then there there's <laughs> kind of stuff where he's just sitting there's it's the movie's really about uh time and mm-hmm. i don't want to give anything else away but um a ghost story is, is a really strong movie and and when i saw that i just was kind of reading about this guy david lowry um and i found out he, he made a movie called ain't them body saints which was uh I guess his first movie, and that also stars Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. And I watched that um, a couple months ago. And I actually just tried to kind of skim through it today. Um, <laughs> the movie tries very hard to be like a Terrence Malick movie, um, almost like he was like if you watch a Terrence Malick movie, it doesn't there's not going to be a story. It's not going to make any sense. He was almost fighting the story of the movie um, to get these like not not even narrations, just like the characters, the way they talk is not how anyone would talk ever. It's all like. They, they speak in like poetry kind of like in like in a Terrence Malick movie. So um, you get a good performance from Casey Affleck, which I guess you always do. And Rudy Mara is very good in it as well. Um, but you could kind of see all the pieces were there for 
uh, a ghost story when you watch Ain't Them Body Saints. Mm-hmm. Um, and he directed a Disney movie called Peach Dragon, which right. I assume, hey, if Disney's going to give you five million bucks to direct a movie yeah. and you're, you know, 35, then you're certainly going to do it. But just, I've never seen it. I watched the trailer. Reading reviews of it, though, it's like, you can tell it's a David Lowry movie. Like, so there is something to be said for, like, this guy has his own unique style. Right. Uh, so for his most recent movie, he totally went away from his own unique style and, and made a movie in the style of, you know, the Robert Redford, Paul Newman movies of the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have not really read anything else about the movie, seen any interviews or anything, but I imagine that David Lowry is a huge Robert Redford fan because this is just a classic Robert Redford performance, and it's the kind of movie he would have been in um, in the 70s, but he's 88 or something. He's really old. Um <laughs> So The Old Man and the Gun is about a true story about a guy named Forrest Tucker who uh, had 16 prison escapes. Um, and, and at one point in the movie, they show like a montage of the escapes, and they're, they're using like old Paul Newman movie footage, which is kind of cool. Like You kind of see him like through the years, but through his movies. But uh, um, he works with a team of uh, two other guys and him to rob banks all through Texas. And uh, he works with Danny Glover and Tom Waits, or his like counterparts, and, and they're both just great in it. Uh, he robs the banks basically by walking up and saying like, like you go up to the teller and be like, Hey, this is a bank robbery. Like just, just relax. Just put the money in the bag. Like he's really nice to everyone. And he's like a super gentleman. And sometimes he'll like, uh, kind of open his jacket and he'll say, I want to open an account. And they'll say, what kind of account? And he'll say this kind, but Lowry never shows you the gun, which is kind of cool. So you don't even, I mean, he never shows the there, there is guns in the movie, but you never see the gun on yeah. on him, which is which I thought was really cool. That is cool. Um, but anyway, uh, it, kind of in the in the the way of those old movies, there's a cop on his tail, and, and the cop is Casey Affleck. Um, and what's different about this cop is that he hates his job. He really hates being a cop, um, but he likes chasing this guy, and he really wants to catch him. Um, and it's a, it's a good performance by Affleck and it's a good character. Um, Sissy Spacek is in it and she plays sort of like his love interest, um, who he's just lying to the entire movie, but for some reason, um, uh, she, she's just charmed by him. He doesn't like really tell her anything that he does or, or anything like that, but they have a good rapport. I wish my only, you know, critique, I guess, is I wish there was more of the Sissy Spacek character and kind of what she was thinking, um, and a little bit of her backstory, but, but the old man in the gun is, it's an incredible true story i mean they say it's like almost true and they obviously are taking liberties because it would be very hard to believe some of the stuff um but there's a great there's maybe there's a couple times where casey affleck and redford are on screen together and there's one scene that's just awesome um that that there's usually a scene in in movies made by really strong directors that stick out and that you'll be thinking about and this movie is very just like it's a very breezy like enjoyable movie there's nothing too heavy about it it's 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 just the i'm looking at the poster now and it obviously is a a knockoff of the the sting poster where it's like that weird cartoonish looking people and it's just a white backdrop and the title um so it's definitely a love letter to to redford and the kind of movies he made uh but but lowry certainly puts his own his own spin on it um and there's there's some scenes where you can just tell this guy really is is a strong director Mm um i'm I'm very excited for for whatever he has next uh i don't necessarily think there's anything um anything coming out uh let me look in the near in the near future but uh it looks like there is actually and one is peter pan (laughs) um so it seems like there's a uh, could be interesting pattern of the work he chooses yeah he's he's paying the bills that's that's for sure uh (laughs) But but um, yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see see more of, of David Lowry. Um, that, that's for sure. 
All right, so let's uh, let's and, and I would certainly recommend uh, the old man and the gun for for anyone that that has access to see it. It's 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 really a really good movie. Um, but let's take a quick break and we'll be back and we'll talk about some other directors under forty who who we've been impressed with. So we're gonna take take a little bit of a liberty with uh, with this next guy. I think he's forty one. Uh, Jason Reitman, though, and and it's definitely worth talking about him because he's he's nominated for four Academy Awards already, um, and in kind of a short career, and he's made you know arguably one very classic movie. Yeah. Um, uh, of course, he's a son of Ivan Reitman, who who was a is a very famous Hollywood producer, Ghostbusters fame. I don't know, maybe he, he directed Ghostbusters. I think I believe um, so. Yeah. Jason Reitman tells a story uh, um, where he was uh, he was at a like an award show or something, and Kevin Smith was there. And Kevin Smith is a guy who who uh, certainly did his best work under <laughs> before he turned forty. But right. um, yeah, Jason Jason Reitman ran into uh, to Kevin Smith at like an award show, and he first time he met him, he went up to him and he said, uh, "Like, hey man, Clerks made me want to be a filmmaker." And Kevin Smith said, "You were on the set of Ghostbusters, and Clerks made you want to be a filmmaker." <laughs> um, but it, but it is funny, I, and Kevin Smith always tells a story about how he saw Slacker, the Richard Linklater movie. Yeah. That's and Linklater was young when he made that, right. and that's why Kevin Smith wanted to be a director. So there, there's definitely kind of Man. interesting patterns. But um, Reitman's first feature film was Thank You for Smoking, um, and we talked. I, th- I think we talked about maybe off off mic or something. But Aaron Eckhart had a stretch there where he was like <laughs> he was in everything. He was that's a big true, time yeah. actor, and now he's just uh, God, I don't even know what he does. He I don't was, think he's, um, he was in. Your movie, Rabbit Hole. He was in, in Rabbit Hole. And he, then he was obviously uh, Harvey Dent. Yeah, um, but but he's a star. Thank you for smoking. Where he plays like a lobbyist for the tobacco industry. Um, I I saw this movie probably in 2006. Like I remember kind of renting it from a store. If, it if came out 2005. Yeah, um, and it was like for a topic that I know nothing about, don't care anything about. It was an interesting movie, and that's what makes you kind of like, oh, okay, like this guy's yeah, can, probably got something yeah. something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever see that? Thank you for smoking. I didn't. No. It's yeah. It's 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 good. I mean, Aaron Eckhart is just. I really don't like that guy. I really don't like him. Um, and I, I I'm glad he's. I'm, I'm looking at his filmography right yeah, now. What does he do? Has he? There's a show called The Romanovs, which I believe is on. Uh, oh, <laughs> was he? Was he? No, he wasn't nominated. Was he? First, uh, Sully. No, he was not. Oh, that's right. He wasn't. He was. Um, <laughs> he was like the co-pilot. Right. I don't know. I don't know why he's, he's taking a break. Perhaps people just realize he's not a good actor and yeah. um but but the movie that certainly put jason reitman on the map um was his second movie uh 2007's juno uh and i remember seeing juno in theaters and not really knowing what to expect going in i remember there was that moldy peach song uh, in the trailer and yeah. i'd known the song before before the movie and i liked the song so I was like, yeah, this could be cool. And then I saw the movie and I was like, oh my God, like this is, right. this is really, right. really impressive. Um, and really, really a classic movie. The first time All I right. saw Garden State directed by Zach Braff, who was yeah. probably under 40. Well, yeah, definitely under 40 at that time. Yeah. That's like the first time that I realized like what indie was as like mm-hmm. both a genre and then kind of like a style yeah. Like a clothing style and a style of film and As, uh, everything. <laughs> I remember one time, um, this was probably, this is right around Juno, but, uh, or, or rather right around Garden State. And Dee said, um, there's like a scene in the garage of Zach Braff's dad's house. And he was like, Dee was like, yeah, that's how you know it's like a real indie movie. Like when the garage is obviously just somebody's garage. Like yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, the set, the set decoration would be too perfect for for it. Right. So that um, was like my introduction yeah. into indie, mm-hmm. and then I remember seeing Juno, and I'm like, oh, it's another one of these. Like, 
Yeah, I didn't yeah. watch like a lot of indies. Yeah, no, they absolutely had the same the same feel, and of course, thought, yeah. Juno took really took off, right. um, and and certainly made Ellen Page a star. I think Michael Sarah was was pretty well known at, at this point, but a good performance by him. Um, Jason Bateman, a really great performance. It was yeah. it was both of them coming off Arrested Development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Allison Janney, J.K. Simmons. That was really probably the first I really became aware of J.K. Simmons like as an actor. Me too. Um, although I'd probably seen him around before. Um, but it's funny. I, I look at, uh, you know, the, the movies that say like, you might like this um, on IMDb on the Juno page and it's Little Miss Sunshine, 500 Days of Summer and uh, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which, which all kind of <laughs> fit into that mold. Um, but it wasn't, and it'd be interesting because Juno was, was 11 years ago now and it was just about, teen pregnancy and the girl decides not to have an abortion and it's just talk it was talked about in such a way that really never was never talked about before no one was really touching a movie about right. about teen pregnancy that i can remember there was that movie um and, and i shouldn't say that there was um there there were movies about it of course uh remember the movie four months three weeks and two days i think it's like a i think it's a from like belgium it sounds familiar um it was a really i just remember it being like really well reviewed and I, I rented it at tla probably and it's just like a girl's trying to get like an abortion in like Romania when is it's that like the, illegal. It is just like so dark. And is that the one on the cover? It's just like a bunch of like tallies being crossed off. No, no, that's, that's, that's I, something about prison. I know what you're like talking a about. Movie. Yeah, I can't remember what that is. Another foreign. No, four months, three weeks, and two days. I believe is how old the fetus was when it was. And I think they just like, I, I look and. and you just don't this no one would ever attempt this in america but i believe there's a shot of the aborted fetus on like a bathroom floor and that's like a shot in this movie wow. so super dark and that's kind of how i think pregnancies were or teen pregnancies were tackled in in movies and there's that mike lee movie which is a great movie vera drake and she plays like a um uh Emilia stanton i believe is her name plays uh, a woman named vera drake who's like in the 50s or 40s in london and she's just like a back alley abortionist mm-hmm. um it's just dark very dark but yeah. this movie tackles yeah, teen t- pregnancy in a, a little quirkier way a, yeah a little little <laughs> bit of a quirkier way there's you know a really good love story in it and i feel like that's where i first learned that word as well as quirky, like a yeah. adjective yeah man and, and a lot of uh ellen page not movie star good looks obviously but people fell in love with her after juno like yeah. everyone uh, what was the movie? Did you see the movie she did? I think it was like I've seen maybe a year or two. Yeah, I think you have seen this movie. It was like a year or two before where like like a I guess like a pedophile is like trying to get with her online. Is that a hard candy? That's what it's called. Is yeah. that what it is? That's yeah. isn't I, I, um, I haven't seen it. But Hard that, Candy was it was directed by I'm, a, I'm man, we're we're getting really deep here and obviously no one's listening anyway, but um <laughs> Hard Candy I think was directed by a guy. Do you remember Maybe, oh man, I can't remember now. Uh, there was a movie called The United States of Leland. Yeah. And yeah, it was yeah. Ryan Gosling played like, yep. I think he was like autistic. He had like something a little bit off of him and Kevin Spacey was in it. And right. Chris Klein. It was like, a, and uh, the girl was in all the indies. Um, the girl from Stepmom. What's her name? Not Susan uh, Sarandon, Julia Roberts, but uh, uh, God, I can't remember. Yeah, I, well, I can't think. It, it may have been the same director. There was, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. We, we talk about, um, no, it was not. I don't know who this, this was directed by a guy named David Slade. That, that's not, doesn't ring a bell. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, 
God, I kind of remember Hard Candy. I think I watched it after Juno, though. I, didn't, I don't think I saw it before, so I, I certainly didn't know who Ellen Page was until until Juno. But anyway, we talk about these indies. There was a, there was a stretch there where there was a lot of like I guess people like obviously you can't make a movie, you couldn't make a movie on, on an iPhone in two thousand four or five. But movies were getting cheaper to make, and there was like the movie Mean Creek, if you remember that, yeah. about, mm-hmm. I think, like, Rory Culkin was in it. It was about, like, the kids who accidentally kill their friend on yep. a boat or something. Josh, Josh Peck from Drake and Josh. Yeah, there was there was a lot of, um, Gus Van Sant made that movie Elephant, yeah. like, on mm-hmm. a shoestring. Yep. Um, there was a lot, and these were all around the same time. That dude, um, Kenneth Lon- Lonergan? Yeah. Who did, um, he just did... Manchester. Manchester. Yeah. He, he did Manchester a couple, say, yeah. he did a couple, like, movies in that vein around, yeah, he, like, early um, 2000s. Yeah, there, there, there was a stretch there. And, and now, I mean... It's either, you know, it's it's interesting. Matt Damon, I, I read an interview, heard an interview with him, and he was just talking about there's like, not going to be movies that cost twenty to fifty million dollars to make. You're either making a movie for a million bucks or you're making a movie for three hundred million bucks. There's like, no, there's yeah. like no, mm-hmm. no real in between. And Juno was probably, I don't know, probably a twenty million dollar movie to make, a, depending on what they paid, on what they paid the cast. But, um, obviously, you know, Diablo Cody won, um best screenplay for it right. and that was that's it, it feels like a writer director movie mm-hmm. because they just were so in in lockstep with each other for i think sure. the whole the whole the whole way so um jason reitman really i mean really burst onto the scene and um he, it's it, you know kevin smith made a movie that everyone thought they could make in clerks and and juna felt the same way you feel like yeah. sometimes when you see movies that that seem so easy you have to remember it the, Juno's as difficult to make as, as Superman is difficult to make. You know, Juno, you're just probably doing a lot more in the field, and Superman, you're doing a lot more in a, in a you know in a computer lab. Sure. But these require a ton of work, and and it, it's a credit to the director when it looks that easy. Like everything yeah. just is yeah, so effortless in uh, in um in Jason Reitman's uh, movies for the most part. Um, we talked about Tully on this podcast. That was his most recent movie, which um which I really enjoyed. Uh, but <laughs> I did not catch that one. I stopped after the other one with Charlize Theron. Well, I think. <laughs> well, that was a young adult. Which, which, yeah. so he makes Reitman makes Juno. This is a really we talk about this a lot. Three movie stretches, and this is a really good one, uh, in my opinion. Juno, a couple episodes of The Office. He did. I remember them. Uh, Up in the air and Young Adult. Yeah, two thousand seven, two thousand nine, and two thousand eleven. Yeah. Up in the air is a movie you really like, right? I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big fan. That's a good. Uh, that's a really good Clooney performance. Yeah, and then Young Adult was good too. Um, that's I such an loving, underrated movie. Yeah, it is, and I don't think I've seen it since the first time when it came out. Yeah, it's on. Um, it's on something now, like maybe HBO or Hulu or something. Patton Oswalt like killed it in that. I remember loving him in that. Yeah, <laughs> and and got back to these like of the the mid to late 2000 cheap movies. Patton Oswalt did a movie called Big Fan yeah, where he was I like an obsessive New York Giants fan who yeah. like would write scripts to call into radio sports talk shows. Um, so that movie certainly resonated with me. Uh, but yeah, Patton Oswalt, really good young adult. Um, and, and then uh, kind of kind of veered a little bit. He made a movie called Labor Day with yeah. Kate Winslet and Josh Brolin. And I just don't think he was, it's just not his style. Did you see that or no? No, no. I believe Josh Brolin played like convict who hitchhikes with kate winslet or like son um it looked looked a little little saccharine um and then i was excited for this but but just he didn't quite pull it off um, men women and children so there's a there's an author called chad colchin um and and I, I read uh i think i read four of his books he has a book called the average american male the average american marriage 
Men, Women, and Children, and a book called The Lie. And I think he has one other one out that I, I haven't read. But Men, Men Women, and Children, um, Chad Colchin, he really pushes pushes the envelope um, in his in his books. It's they're sort of like like Tucker Max books, um, right. but fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and Men, Women, and Children, I tried to watch, but it just. Adam Sandler's in it. It's a weird cast. Yeah, I'm looking at this cast. Good uh, young actors, but just yeah. didn't quite quite pull it off. Um, Timothy Chalamet. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's he is in it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, soon to be Oscar winner Timothy Chalamet <laughs> is, is in it. Um, uh, Jennifer Garner, again, Rosemary DeWitt, Judy Greer's great actress. Um, Dean Norris. Yeah, Danny Vance, that's right. Uh, Ansel Elgort, who's uh, Fault in Our Stars and Baby oh, yeah. Driver. He was Baby Driver, right? Yep. Is that him? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so a really good cast. Just the it was a t- I think it, you know having read the book it's a really tough tough to adapt into a movie um good on him for trying uh but then you know I think he's kind of back with with Tully and that's another Diablo Cody script um and and his most recent movie and it's a movie that I I would recommend I think it's really good I think it's a really strong performance by Charlie Theron there were a lot of movies earlier this year that have got just I, I was just looking at like Gold Derby and like uh film critic current picks like up-to-date picks for different awards nothing about Joaquin Phoenix nothing about Ben Foster I mean of course for you were never really here and and leave no trace they're not in there for anything that's crazy about Ben um, Foster. nothing about Charlie Theron for for uh this movie it's 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 like a lot of it's a lot of movies that haven't come out yet that they're kind of predicting it seems right. like Chalamet is across the board for Beautiful Boy but that's got bad reviews yeah um which is sort of surprising but uh, what are you going to do? But but anyway, Jason Reitman, um, yeah, he's, he's a little bit older, but uh, but I think he's back with, with Tully after making two uh, not great Jason Wright movies. I think he's back in his, yeah. in his wheelhouse. Hopefully we get another three-peat from him. That'd be good. Yeah, right. Um, all right, now we're going to talk about <laughs> this guy who I predicted after um, maybe <laughs> a second movie that he was the next Steven Spielberg. I still hold, hold true to <laughs> I, I really do believe this. Still um, got time. Young guy, I really do believe it, and his name is Jeff Nichols, and Jeff Nichols is uh, the director of uh, Shotgun Stories, uh, Take Shelter, Mud, Midnight Special, and most recently Loving. Why do I say he's an ex Spielberg? It seems like he's tackling the genres that Spielberg would tackle. Take Shelter is t- Take Shelter is one of my favorite movies of, of the decade for sure, um, and really because it's the best performance by Michael Shannon, one of my favorite actors. Yeah. Um, Michael Shannon is so good in this movie. It's, uh, you know, he was nominated for an, for an Academy Award for um, uh, Revolutionary Road first, and and then for um, and then for uh, recently that Tom Ford movie. What's that called? Uh, um, yeah. Oh man, what is it? Uh, animals, American? No. Uh, uh, Nocturnal Animals. Nocturnal Animals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is which is a really good movie and a, a good awesome. performance. But um, in Take Shelter, he plays a guy who. This is really interesting. He plays a guy who is is having visions, and he's seeing like like birds will pattern together in the air, or he's seeing a thunderstorm, and it's not happening to anyone else. And he's it just has this this thought in his head that he needs to build a bomb shelter in his yard to protect his family. He has a wife played by Jessica Chastain and a young daughter who's deaf. He he Michael Shannon, the actor, did not do any research on. Um, mental illness he did it as the character did it so he was learning about mental because he said that this guy is just he's a construction worker in i think they're in arkansas where nichols is or texarkana i guess the border where nichols is from um he didn't know anything about it so 
as the character is learning, he's like right. researching it as well, which is which is kind of interesting. Um, but it, it it makes the performance so so good because Shannon doesn't know what's wrong with him. He's right. he's trying to figure this out and he's scared, but he knows that he has to build this this bomb shelter. And <laughs> there there's one shot in the movie that apparently costs more than the rest of the movie to make, and it's just like couches levitate. So hmm. Nichols has like a bent to the the sort of sci-fi um but but take shelter i i still say is his best movie and you know he was so that was 2011 he was probably about 33 or 34 when he made it i still say jaws is spielberg's best movie his best movie so <laughs> um hopefully nichols will will keep coming out with with the good stuff but um after take shelter he made he made mud and this was that stretch of time where mcconaughey was like yeah, that's just the, about to take off. The reconnaissance, as they <laughs> is it, was that actually call a thing? It, yeah. That's what they call it. Make that up. Um, when was well? When was that? We're gonna talk about this guy too, but real quick, when was uh, True Detective? So that was 2014. Wow, and Dallas Buyers Club was right around the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So the Mac- <laughs> I still don't think he's a good actor. <laughs> like I still can't buy it because he's just in so like, much garbage. Um, I know I, I like him, but Mo- even with those performances that he put out, the recent ones, man, that performance in True Detective is so good. That, that's 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 definitely his best work. Um, Dallas, Buyer, <laughs> Dallas Buyers Club, I think he he certainly earned an Oscar. And Mud, yeah. he's he's really good at Mud, and he's great. Mud is like one of those movies that you know I I own, I saw it because I, going into it, I'm so excited because it was like, oh my god, this guy off of Take Shelter, like I am ready for this movie, and and I saw it and I liked it. At first, not as much to take shelter, and I still don't like as much to take shelter, but it's like a movie that I got right away. And I think Mud, you know, it's about a guy who, again, I think they're in they're in Texas or Arkansas, and he's a he's a fugitive. I can't remember what he did, why he's on the run from the law, but he's basically living in a boat that is stuck in a tree. Yeah. Um, and I think they explained it was washed up like on a storm or something. Mm-hmm. And two like young boys in the it's just like a hick sea town, and you know some some hellhole uh but he's he's living there and he's kind of living there because his ex-wife played by reese witherspoon is like in the area and right away you get the impression that mud is not is is a a movie that's really laden in symbolism and and it's it's about more so than anything the the power that that women have over and this you know sounds bad but hear me out the power that women have over men in, in the circumstance of like you know when when a woman when a woman you know breaks up with you you're you're totally crazy yeah. and you'll just do anything to get get back including living in a tree in the woods and on the run from the law and there's like there's yeah. literally a part where like somebody gets bit by a snake like snake bitten um but a really a really good movie um and probably a, a more personal movie for for Nichols, did you, you saw Mud, right? I did see Mud. And what, yeah. were, what do you think? I really liked it. Um, yeah, I like the. Uh, do they say where it takes place? I like that setting. I, I, it's kind of like South, like Bayou Town. Stuff I, I like don't that. think I. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, it was just all Arkansas. Oh, I, I believe. Oh, okay. I believe Nichols is from Arkansas, but like I think he went to. I believe he went to the same. It was like called like the North Carolina Film School or something where right. like Danny McBride went. I think that he went to the same place. Yeah, I feel like the setting is like a character in itself. And then yeah, um, for sure. and then the kid is great in it too. Is it uh it's Ty Sheridan? Ty Sheridan who's in um Tree of Tree Life. Tree of right? Life, yeah, yeah, yeah. He put out an awesome performance. Him and McConaughey play off each other really well. Mm-hmm. Um Sam Shepard. The late Sam Shepard, Sam Shepard yeah, is, yeah. is awesome in it. Yeah, that sucks. Um 
and then Reese yeah. plays the love interest. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, she's good. She does good. She yeah, does a good job. She's her performances all around are good. And then you got the dude. What's his name? Hold on. Paul Sparks is the. He's like the <laughs> lead bad guy, right? Uh, he is. Yeah, he's. Is he like a bounty hunter or something? Yeah. He's mm-hmm. like yeah, because he's got yeah. it on his tail. And then Michael Shannon. You know, of course, he's. I think he's in all Jeff Nichols movies except. Yeah, he's in Loving as well. He's in every Jeff Nichols oh, yeah, movie. Yeah, Michael Shannon. And this is like Ty. Or he's like Ty Sheridan's friend's uncle. Who's like always like, yeah, boys, like never settle like down with a woman. The wise Just, uncle, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and he's always he's like a scuba diver or something. Right. Yeah, he's, like he's always, always like wearing a, the suit. Like yeah. Buried treasure and stuff. Um, yeah, but and, and and Jeff Nichols is writing and directing all these movies. Um, and, and I know we're spending a lot of time on, on these guys, but but they're certainly some of our favorites. And uh, his, his third movie, Nichols explained, and, and it's not my favorite of his. It's the most sci-fi of his. Um, but he just said he wanted to make a movie about a guy and a boy in a car driving down a highway at night. And that's like <laughs> basically how this movie begins. Um, and that's where good, the idea came from. Good launching off point. And it, it sort of snowballed from there. Um, and and one of the things that would lead me to, to compare, not just the sci-fi elements between Nichols and, and Spielberg and, and a lot of his earlier work, but um, Nichols works with kids a lot. There's always right. always mm-hmm. kids in his movies. Um, maybe not loving as much, but certainly the first three. I mean, the star of Midnight Special is is the kid, uh, Jacob Lieberner or whatever his name is from. Uh, he was he's from here. He's from Philly, I think. Okay. And he was in uh, Saint Vincent. He's like that kid who hangs out with Bill Mary. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Midnight Special is is basically about a kid who has these unique capabilities um the government knows it and needs to bring him in for testing but his father played by uh, michael shannon does not want this to happen and then i believe like his father's friend played by joel edgerton sort of helps out um and it gets more and more sci-fi as, as the movie movie goes on which which i'm not crazy about but still it, it, he had money and he, he used that money pretty wisely Did you see that midnight special i did not Mm-mm. you saw the next one there right i saw loving yeah what do you think of Loving? Loving uh, was good. It's a good, um, you know, retell like retelling of a true story. Um, what's his face? Stories. Joel Edgerton. Yeah, yeah, and he's great in it. Stories about he is really good. And Richard then, and Mildred Loving, who were an interracial couple in the '60s in Virginia, and they basically had to fight in court to yeah. be married, <laughs> um, which is just it's so backwards, obviously, but. Um, a departure from from the sci-fi and Spielberg certainly did that in his career as well. Uh, Definitely, yeah. Um, so you know, another sort of it's really interesting how we can compare these guys to Spielberg. Spielberg, <laughs> Spielberg really like set the way for everybody. I just, I, I like I said, I, I I'm not over like multiple genres, but yeah, I mean, you could make the the argument that Spielberg is just like the he's like the Shakespeare of a film because he's just done he's worked in every genre. I mean. Yeah. Most people say Shakespeare invented most genres, but Spielberg, in, in terms of film, has put. He's done horrors. He's done sci-fi. He's done romance. He he's done these. He did the Color Purple, a period piece with mm-hmm. like race relations. Schindler's List. He does, um, of course, a war movie. So he's just yeah, he's just done everything, mm-hmm. and he's. I just get the like. I just feel like Spielberg is like. It's just like eating crackers, like townhouse crackers. <laughs> like I like I enjoy them, but it's just like that's it's like these again. They're, just cra- <laughs> yeah, just they're, they're crackers, and and it's going to be so technically proficient. Um, although I'll say, Bridge of Spies, and I think every, you know, I'm I'm probably crediting Bridge of Spies too much to the Coen Brothers rewriting the script, but yeah, um, yeah, that was that was a, that was actually a Spielberg movie I really enjoyed. Yeah, it's really good. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's tough. It is tough to to compare. I, I guess anyone to to Steven Spielberg just because he really compares somebody in any genre um, to Spielberg. And I think that yeah, we don't have a lot of movies without without his contributions for sure. I, I still just am not. I, I just feel there's no like there's no flair to him. Yeah, it's just technically perfect. The lighting's yeah. perfect. The sounds perfect. The script's usually really good because they're paying. You know, they're paying Jay Cox or the other, like, uh, what's that guy's name? God. Um, the guy who wrote, like, Forrest Gump. He uh, wrote Lincoln. I forget. Just the guys that they pay $2 million to write scripts. Right. That's who, I, I mean, that's kind of who Spielberg's using. So the script's always technically perfect. It just They just fe- feel too too technical, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but anyway, uh, yeah, back to Jeff Nichols and Loving. Um uh, Ruth Nega, who plays Mildred Loving, was nominated for an Oscar. I thought she should have won. And Joel Edgerton was not nominated, which I was shocked by. This movie, this yeah. is the one that would have put him really, I think a lot of people would have started comparing him to Spielberg if, if this thing took off. But it just it just died. It, yeah. It's amazing yeah, that's true. nominated yeah. for, for Oscars. Um, do you know who, who won Actress? Let's year? see. That was 2017. So it was two years ago. So Brie Larson for Room. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, she was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, she was good at <laughs> But yeah, Ruth and I, uh, yeah, she was great. Which, I wonder what she's, uh, hold what, for train. <laughs> yeah. Hold for the train. I thought it was every hour. Uh, let me see what Ruth Naga has coming out. Um, that's just from Ethiopia. I did not know that. Oh, she's in, oh, whoa. I didn't know that. So she's in that. Have you watched this? The AMC preacher series based off the very popular uh, no, novels. She plays tulip in it. Cool. Interesting. Very interesting. I might, I might watch that now. Um, wasn't like Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg behind that? Yeah, I believe so. I, yep. I don't know how that's not more popular. I, I'm assuming they can't do what they did in the comics on on AMC. Yeah, absolutely. Not. Uh, probably, probably more of a more of an. That's HBO. why The Walking Dead's terrible now. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, I really didn't know. Still, I really didn't even it's know it was still on. Really bad. Um, <laughs> all right, so Jeff Nichols, uh, one one of my my favorite up and comers, and and I think that a lot of thing. One thing that some of these guys have in common, uh, you know. Damien Chazelle and, and Ryan Gosling, of course, but Nichols and Michael Shannon. You gotta you want to hit your and David Lowry and Casey Affleck's been on all of his movies, so I think you want to hit your wagon to really good actors, and, and a lot of things can um, be covered up if you're working with, with with incredible actors. Yeah, absolutely. All right, who do you have next? Moving on. Yep. All right, so I've only. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. All right. He did this movie called Sin Nombre. Okay. Uh, this, uh, <laughs> you introduced me to that one long before True Detective. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, that was a critical darling, Sin Nombre. The uh, director in question here is Carrie Joji Fukunaga. Um, he is, uh, born, he was born in 1977, nice. July of 1977. A little older. Someone do that math. But, yeah. All right. We just so how, how old was he when? True Detective came out. So True Detective, 2014, 2014. Yeah, he was under 41. Certainly, he's 41 now. So, all right, cool. All right. Um, yeah, I don't know, he's 38 or something. But uh, of course, he's probably best known for directing uh, the first eight or the whole season, the whole the first whole season, season of, the whole of first True season of True Detective. Um, one of my favorite, I mean, easily my favorite miniseries, but just one of my like <laughs> favorite things that's ever aired on TV. I think. Yeah, it's really it's, it's really like nothing else. Because it's, I don't know if I'm stealing this from somebody at this point. I can't remember. I've said it a bunch of times, but it's like a horror dressed as a detective story. I think that's what I really like about it, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. No, there's it's there's very um, horrific and very unsettling. Yeah, my my favorite. Uh, my my oh God, 
I'm, I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to look this up real quick. Yeah. But it's, uh, I, think, I, mean, I think it's on here. It's a horror dress as a noir. It's a McConaughey, again, during the McConaissance, plays yeah. a detective. His partner is played by Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson's very, you know, your typical by the book blue collar guy hanging like telling the cop stories at the cop bars exactly. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the real... They just make him the typical yeah. cop. And then Woody is like Frederick Nietzsche. He's like the tax, or whatever the his tax name man. is. Yeah. <laughs> He's like the most philosophical in his head. Just like space case, recluse, scary, unknown person. Suffering from he plays yeah. Like chronic drug withdrawals i guess from like years under, <laughs> right, it's just, definitely like a huge drug addict like a functioning drug addict but, alcoholic well i mean we'll talk about um carrie just in the, a second but when a, when a novelist takes on something like this you know the characters are going to be really rich and I, I always say that about like the coen brothers every single character and every coen brothers from and and you can just pick like the smallest character the guy in the convenience store in no country the 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 border patrol guy in no country those are like the the toll booth guy in Fargo. These are such, they're, they're real characters. They're like so well-written and that's every character in the show is so well-written. But of course the best lines are saved for, for McConaughey's character and Harrelson's character. But every single character in the show is, is, is really just, there's every single character is like really there's depth. You, you're wondering about the past of every, every character in the show, um, which is one of the, really one of the most impressive, impressive, uh, aspects of it um but maybe the most impressive aspect is is the direction of of all the episodes yeah um the thing i was looking for you you mentioned it was um sort of like a like a horror movie yeah because it deals with a crime that's super complex and just Mm -hmm. ongoing and there's more crimes connected to it it's very rooted in like satan worshiping devil worshiping yep old southern i don't know ideals and, like death, I don't know. And, and they they know well there's a lot to it a lot of murder involved yeah, a nick, lot of nick nick a lot of sacrificing the, the 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 writer and creator i think understood what you just said that that he was basically making a horror and you can look at it in different ways but there's I, I found it and there's a lot of dialogue and i think it's at the end of maybe the third episode and they're they're alluding to uh the most fa- I, i'm well we'll get to the most famous I think scene, which, which is the, the one take of course, but the most famous maybe piece of imagery in the the show. And I'm going to read this entire thing. There's a lot of, it's, there's a lot of rambling, but this is the, the end of an episode. And and I want, I think you'll, you'll remember it when I read it. And, and this is, this is my favorite part of that show. And I think it's handled so well. And it was, again, it was the end of the third episode or maybe, yeah, I think it was the end of the third or fourth. And that's when I knew like, Oh my God, this is like, (laughs) like, I really can't wait till next week to watch Mm -hmm. it, but here we go. So this is a Rustin Cole. And he says, this, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I mean when I'm talking about time and death and futility. All right. <clears throat> there, are, <laughs> there are broader ideas at work, mainly what is owed between us as a society for our mutual illusions. 14 straight hours of staring at DBs. These are the things you think of. You ever done that? You look in their eyes, even a picture. It doesn't matter if they're dead or alive. You can still read them. You know what you see. They welcomed it. Not at first, but right there in the last instant, it's unmistakable relief. See, because they were afraid, and now they saw for the very first time how easy it was to just let go. Yeah, they saw it in the last nanosecond. They saw. They saw what they were. 
you yourself, this whole big drama. It was never more than a jerry rig of presumption and dumb will, and you could just not let go. <clears throat> to finally know you didn't have a hold, to finally know you didn't have to hold on so tight, to realize that your life, you know, all your love, all your hate, all your memories, all your pain, it was the same thing. It was all the same dream, a dream you had inside. A dream you had inside a locked, locked room. Rooms. Yep. A dream about being a person. And like a lot of dreams, there's a monster at the end. And as he's reading this, they're showing the dude with the gas mask, the machete, and his underwear just walking through a right. field. And it's terrifying. Right. It is absolutely yeah. terrifying. And what's Yeah, there's like a crazy <laughs> score going on behind yeah. it, like a haunting score, and then they freeze frame. Yeah. Which you don't see a lot. They yeah, freeze frame right. and slowly dissolve yeah. out. Yeah, that's right. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. There's a monster at the end of it. And the next episode does not it doesn't immediately get to that. Right. The next episode talks, Harrelson mentions, so I'm sure you want to hear about the hero shot, us carrying the girls out of, yeah. It just, it's, it, it really is. Oh my God. Probably. I, the, watch it right I know, I know. <laughs> just reading that made me, maybe, because I watched it for a second time and, and I, that, that one part, I just, I remember immediately looking for it to, to just go back over and read that whole piece of dialogue. Yep. And there's, there's literally two times I've done that where I watched something and had to read the dialogue right away. The other one, the opening of No Country. Tommy oh, Lee yeah. Jones' narration. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and the fact that you remember, okay, they freeze on this guy, and he's just terrifying. You've never met the character before. Um, really just well handled by by uh, Carrie Joji. Um, yep. th- just, it, it makes a difference when you have one guy directing the entire yeah. the entire series, especially for a show like this, and, and you can tell. Um, but talk about the, the scene that most people are, the sequence, I guess, that most people um, really, really kind of... Uh, admired from from Kari Joji Fukunaga. Right. So I believe it's um I think it's maybe four episodes in, which is halfway through. It's an eight episode miniseries. And uh uh McConaughey's character and Woody Harrelson's character is like backing him up, but McConaughey goes undercover uh with just like a group of druggies so like motor like a motorcycle yeah, gang like, yeah, that he like was once a like, part of yeah right right so, well no i should say he worked undercover and infiltrated the gang right prior so he infiltrated this gang who's i guess they're going to steal drugs correct i can't remember they're doing some kind of illegal activity in a very dangerous neighborhood um <laughs> so what happens so they basically they they so basically they, want mcconaughey to go with them to kind of show like like that he still got it like it's one of those kind of stupid he, right, things right. but he is coordinating with harrelson so harrelson's sort of on his tail the whole time and they go to they're like a motorcycle gang and they're going to like like uh housing projects right, where there's right. a bunch of drug dealers um and they're going to uh they're going to sell drugs to people in the housing projects like they're going to sell a, lot, a huge amount of drugs to drug dealers to sell on the street but they're going to sell it, kill them, and keep the drugs and the money. Um, so McConaughey is with them, and the whole sequence is done in, in one single take. It's probably about seven or eight minutes. Right. And they're just—it's violence, so, and they're running around through, like, all these different houses. And it's—, it's Yeah, incredible. so it all—so I guess one of the, like, motorcycle gang people that he's with, like, blows the mission by accidentally killing somebody mm-hmm. living in the housing project. And then from there— it's this is perfect because the sirens are perfect. In the background. Yeah, there's like a helicopter going over top. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're hearing in the background is what you hear in the show. There's sirens. You shouldn't have said anything. Just just we're laying it under. <laughs> you hear sirens and helicopters, and it's yeah, it's like five or six minutes, one shot, steady camera following uh, McConaughey as he's like navigating through these housing projects, trying to duck the cops. 
um, I think at this point, his one buddy from the motorcycle gang knows that he's like a fraud. Mm-hmm. So he's also got to deal with him and he's like beating him up in the streets while also like dodging the cops. And it's uh, just an absolutely impressive one take shot. A lot of coordination. It's, it really it's shows. Uh, I mean, there's literally helicopters that are, that are working in. Um, I think there's like sort of a, a minor piece to it is um, the timing has to be right between Harrelson and McConaughey for yeah, McConaughey to get out of there yeah. and Harrelson to pick him up. Yeah, that's why it's so impressive timing. It, it really Getting is. Getting all that right. Yeah, it really is. Um, it takes a lot out of a, it takes a lot from a director. It, it to does. do it's, all that. And it's one of so many things in that show, that show like carried Fukunaga. I don't know. He knows what he's doing. Super impressive. Yeah. Did you see Beast of No Nation? No, <laughs> I, I, I I just I don't I don't think I have the stomach for it. Besides, that's some, uh, that's some heavy. Uh... Yeah, besides Sin Nombre, I think I've only seen True Detective. He's done some other things. Um, what's he What's he doing next? Oh, he's doing. Uh, I forgot. He's doing Bond, which I don't like. Oh, I don't yeah, want him doing right. Bond. Sam Mendes did Bond like right after American Beauty. <laughs> it seems to be. I don't right. know. <laughs> it seems to be kind of a weird. Um, Oh man, his talents are wasted on Bond. He needs to just he needs to stay with the dark, gritty stuff. Yeah, yeah. He was supposed to do it and uh there were creative differences. I wonder what they dropped were. out. I know. I didn't see it. Did you, did you see that? I saw it and it was still good. Yeah, and it was then it makes well me wonder what he would have done with it. Probably would have been incredible. Yeah, I I'm, I'm yeah, I, I just think we need an excuse to talk about True Detective and we should probably just do a whole episode on on season 1 of True Detective. Yeah. Um, I agree. That that's one of those. I think that season one of Oz is one of my favorite seasons. Season three of The Office, one of my favorite TV seasons. Season one of the OC, of course, is is, is arguably the best television <laughs> season ever made. But but True Detective is, and I'm not I'm not He's I'm not kidding. Yeah, He's, I'm OC, not kidding. Yeah. I, I was I was there was a time where I was thinking about just doing a podcast by myself about the OC. I watch it like once a year. I'll the whole series. It. It's... I'll just sit and listen to it and then go home and edit it. <laughs> oh man, that would not be good for the reputation. Um, all right, so some other there's there's. You know, it's it's. Can you talk about a little about uh, Sin Nombre? You showed me this movie. It's still we're still on Carrie Fukunaga. For, yeah, from what I remember about um, for, about uh, Sin Nombre, I believe my. I just remember really liking it when it was over, but I can't remember. I know there's like that deals with a lot of like gangs. <laughs> Again, in... there was there was a stretch where, I mean, I, I guess I really started. I mean, I started watching movies when I was like 13, like I, you see movies, but you don't really watch a lot of movies. Um, and, and I definitely started when I was 13, but there was a time in my life where I was like, and this is going back 10 years with Sinombre, but where really like, you know, they weren't the deepest cut movies, but it was like, you would see something in the paper on TV or, you know, the internet's very big now and you're, you're finding stuff that way. But, mm-hmm. um, just like searching out these weird movies and Sonoma was one of them. So I have no idea who this guy is at the time, but um, I believe it Sonoma means like without a name. Yeah. And it's just about a, a young girl and a gangster who I think has like tattoos all over his face yep. from what I recall. Mm-hmm. And, and they're basically trying to cross the, um, they're trying to cross the border. And it's like, it's, it's not like a ton of, it's not a talky movie at all. Right. I, I think they're, I think they're, I guess they're in, I don't know if they're Mexico or somewhere else, but um, yeah. so it's, it's a, the 
short little synopsis is a Honduran girl and a Mexican okay. gangster are united on a journey across the American border. Yeah, I just remember being like one of those. It's a really like a it, it's a tough movie to watch and a gut wrenching movie. And um, but it was one of those ones where because I would watch movies that like I was like, what? This is just awful. Like I hate this, but I can't say that I hate it because it's like hip to to like right, this yeah. trash. Yep. Um, and I thought that would be one of these. This would be one of those movies, but it was a movie actually I really enjoyed, and, and I kind of remember when we like watched it actually. Um, but yeah, it was it was um, one of those again. You can tell that there's something there with with the the director when when you watch a movie like that and you're entertained the whole time. And, and I mean that's the bottom line. You can make these dark, you know, tough to sit movies, but they have to be entertaining. Um, if they're not. It, it really is is probably the director's the director's fault. So you kind of knew then and there that this guy had had something special going on. Yep, Carrie Fukunaga. My recommendation is True Detective season one. Do it right now. It's on HBO Go. Right. So what, good. What time are we at now? We are at an hour, one hour. All right. Let's. Um. I just want to mention a, a couple a couple others. And and when Sean and I talked about doing this episode beforehand, we we knew that those were the ones that we really wanted to hit. Um. But there, there were there were some others I wanted to just touch on, and one is a uh, uh, boy, and it's gonna be tough. His name is Zal Batmanglij. Uh, people probably know him from the OA, which is on Netflix. Oh, okay. I yeah. haven't watched that. Um, it's good. People love it. Uh, you watched the whole thing? I did. Yeah. I he, hear that people sort of loved it or hated it. Um, but yeah, I can see that. It's yeah. definitely not for everybody. Um, so, so that's probably what he's best known for. Um, but I, I knew who this guy was before he he directed anything. And, um, when I was in college, I was writing, um, I would do like, uh, film reviews for the, just a student paper. And one of the movies is called another earth. And, uh, it was made by a guy named Mike Cahill, uh, who can talk about he's under 40. And, uh, it was written by him and Britt Marling, who is become more and more popular. She was actually, actually wrote a very popular piece about, uh, Harvey Weinstein trying to pull his shit with her. Um, yeah. So she, she, I mean, unfortunately gained notoriety for that whereas she should have for uh for for making making good movies but um so Britt marling and <clears throat> and mike cahill screened this movie at the franklin institute and they had like a physicist it was called another earth and it was basically about a girl who um <laughs> a girl <laughs> who like just got into mit goes to a party is like drinking a little bit she's driving listening on the radio and there's a news story about this other planet in the solar system has come into view and she can kind of see it from her car so as she's driving, she crashes into a family, killing a guy's wife and young child. Um, she gets out of prison and uh, tries to make amends with the guy, and they end up like sort of falling in love. All the while, this other Earth is coming closer to Earth. So they had like a guy at the Franklin Institute explaining the science behind it, and these two talked about it. And then the next day, um, I interviewed Mike Cahill and, and Britt Marling, and they were kind of telling their, their story. Britt Marling wanted to be an actress. There was nothing there's just no work. So she was like, I'm going to write something for me. Um, and when she walked into the room, she doesn't like, I imagine this is how, if you know, Charlize Theron walked into this room, she wouldn't look like a real person. Like Britt Marling, maybe it's cause I saw her on a movie screen the night before, but she just didn't look real. Like there was some sort of charisma that I think a lot of people uh, that are successful actors and actresses have. So she just like had, you know, they say it, I don't know really what that is, but right. she was definitely like, it didn't feel like she was a real, real person. But yeah. anyway, she's explaining the story and said that her, Mike Cahill and this guy, Zal Batmanglij went to college together at Georgetown. And I believe they studied like economics and Britt Marling um, lived with those two guys. They're all roommates and they just started writing stuff. 
So this guy, Zal, and she talked about this movie, said I'm in another movie coming out. It's called The Sound of My Voice, and it's directed by this guy, Zal. And I saw The Sound of My Voice, and I liked it more than Another Earth. And that's she plays a cult leader. And then these two people trying to infiltrate this cult. And that's a low-budget movie, one of these indies we're talking about, that is awesome. And I would recommend everyone to see uh, see see that movie. And and I guess you say the OA is, is pretty solid as well. The OA is, in my opinion, very solid. Um, definitely another kind of sci-fi gets into a lot of weird stuff, mm-hmm. otherworldly <laughs> stuff, um, for sure. Uh, and that's on Netflix. And yeah. I really like that one. Zal Batmanglish. Have you ever seen The East? No, oh, wait, not, no he I don't think he directed that. Um, he, I mean, he did, he did I direct he that. He did, yeah. and I think she's in it, maybe? Yep. I, yeah, I don't I don't think I... Um, yeah, she's in it. I don't believe I, I ever saw that one, but um, there, there was another uh, uh, kind of one movie director that I under 40 that I'm talking about. It's uh, Sarah Polly, and she's directed three movies, I think. Um, one being away from her, which um, the woman who played uh, Julie Christie was nominated for an Academy Award. It's about a woman who um, has Alzheimer's and her husband's sort of like taking care of her. And then after that, she directed a movie called Take This Waltz with Seth Rogen oh, yeah. and Michelle mm-hmm. Williams. And that is an awesome movie. It's, it's, um, it, and it's kind of, I don't know, it's weird to say, but Seth Rogen gives like a really good performance. It's a very serious movie, um, but, but a really good one at that. Um, so I'd recommend. It's not weird to say. Have you ever seen him as Steve Wozniak? It's <laughs> actually really <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, I, I completely forgot he was. Um, he, I completely forgot he was. He was in that. He puts out some. Man, that that was, that movie just kind of came and went though, didn't it? It really did. It really did. <laughs> That's uh, man. Poor I'm so I'm so pissed. They changed. Why did they change the name to Vice? Uh, with, of, uh, the Christian, uh, Christian, Christian Bale. Bale. Yeah. 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 Still, Back I have no idea. Such a better title. Yeah. That is weird. And Vice is like that very popular news channel, right? Or the yep. HBO news show or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's very confusing. Um, but I, I have a list now pulled up of directors under 40. Anyone else that, uh, that you want to hit on? Um, is there anybody else? We talked about that guy. You got that list? Up. Yeah. We talked about the guy, Xavier Dolan. Okay. Yeah. So, so he's French Canadian and I have, he's super he's, young. He's 29, 29. Yeah. So he's 29 now and he has like, like several movies um, under his belt. I'm nine days old in this guy. Well, <laughs> I, I do have another, like a personal connection to, to Xavier Dolan. So, um, when I was in, in college, I was probably 20 and I was doing like an internship. Um, the, the company I worked for distributed. You bait. did more like film related internships and jobs than I did in film. School. <laughs> <laughs> what, what'd you go for? Journalism? Journalism. Yeah. Right. Um, but I mean, at this place, I like, I, you didn't do anything with film. I like wrote the descriptions of movies on the back of the boxes right. and stuff. Um, but I, I always remembered Xavier Dolan because, um, when I was, when I was there, they released, uh, God, I'm trying to find which movies his, um, we'd released when I was there. So he was, man, that guy's making movies for, for a while. Um, there's a movie called Lawrence anyways, which, which I remember they released and it was, I think it was just like about he, he's 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 gay Xavier Dolan and I think it was just about like a just like a gay kid I I, I don't really yeah, recall but is that like an underlying theme and all because I've only seen one of his um, films and it seems like that's kind of the underlying I think it is yeah it's it's probably a very personal uh, like he deals uh, with like sexual orientation to him his character yeah and... for sure and he's actually he's he's an actor as well but he's going to be in that movie uh, Boy Erased oh, okay, with yeah. um, Lucas Edges. Is that yep. him? That's yeah. the guy who's. I'm I'm, I'm really excited everywhere. for that movie, uh, Joel Edgerton movie. But uh, 
But anyway, we saw so Xavier Dolan um, working at this place, and they're like, "Yeah, this guy's like 20, and he made this movie." And I was like, "20, bro, probably sucks." And I just remember like not just not liking him on that alone. But then we saw that movie Mommy in 2014. So yeah. he was uh, that was four years ago. He was 25. That's crazy. And we both really liked that movie. Yeah. It was um, mm-hmm. really dark, uh, but and again, it was I mean actors that we don't we don't know. I think they're Canadian act actors or French act actors and actresses, but really good movie and it's just about a troubled kid's relationship with his mom basically yeah. mm-hmm. um and yeah there's a lot of interesting things with it um, yeah, you can explain the camera work better than i can i'm sure right what, do you remember that so yeah so the um aspect ratio is like that of an iphone yeah it's like it was one-to-one yeah just like a box yeah, yeah. on the screen <laughs> right um <laughs> until like there's I, and i know, i think there was like an interesting choice because that I don't know. You... Do you remember what they do? So there's like a sequence where it like slowly goes back into like a standard ratio, right? They're playing. There, there's, and, and the movie is it's like there's not much of a story to it, and that's why I'm kind of having trouble recalling. And I only saw it yeah. once in theaters, but yeah, I know there's just we the just... kid is like the kid was like really chaotic and the mom was sort of like a young mom and Super kind of struggled, trouble. but they really like had she, a good relationship. She doesn't know what to do with them. And then they're yeah. the neighbor, the neighbor gets involved cause she right. can tolerate this kid. Right. She right. can put up with them. So she kind of steps in for the mom's sake. Correct. And then, and then that's where I feel like, I think it's up to interpretation, but there's the, is there kind of like a, sexual tension with the mom and the neighbor who's a woman yeah yeah, so it's kind of like yeah yeah um so there's a scene where like things sort of towards the middle of the movie and things are kind of getting on track and they're they're playing a coldplay song i can't i know it's coldplay it might be yellow i can't remember what song it is but they're playing a coldplay song and he's skateboarding down a street right and so it's in this literally just looking at a square box on the on the movie screen and as he's skateboarding he like does this thing with his hands where he like starts pulling them like away like in in front of his face and then away and as he pulls his hands away the screen opens Uh, up yeah yeah, it's really it's a really cool cool effect i'm I'm not sure you know how he did it so so seamlessly but and then the rest of the movie is just in a normal (laughs) it's just in a normal uh um ratio the the rest of the way yeah i think Um, he said he just really wanted to focus on facial you know yeah to see like What's going on? I don't know. Yeah, you know <laughs> Can't what? Put into words. And he, he's also in Bad Times so see the at the El Royale. Face. As an actor. Oh, really? Yeah, very interesting. So, I mean, yeah, he's 29, Canadian. Um, one of his personal quotes is, I was a very violent kid. I think movies and writing have been a way of channeling that. So, obviously, the I don't remember a real... I, the kid and mommy had some temper issues, but I don't think he was like outwardly violent to anyone maybe he like accidentally hit his mom once or something if right. i remember yeah i think so um but yeah he's i mean i think that he'll start making uh, or he'll continue making making solid movies um and then i don't think we can we can we can leave without talking about one last guy uh ryan coogler uh, oh, so yeah, ryan coogler absolutely. is uh is probably like he's probably he's on the like level 31. of Giselle. yeah he's uh, <laughs> he was born in 86 so he's uh 32 right now um Fruitvale Station was incredible, just just awesome, really and good. that's kind of what brought him on. But again, he's he's one of these guys who is just like a natural. You see that movie, and that movie wasn't anything terribly special. I, Michael B. Jordan was like a TV actor, right? So he wasn't yeah. he wasn't Michael B. Jordan. He's very young uh, in The Wire and does a really good job. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, 
so Fruitvale Station, Creed, and Black Panther. So he's basically been able to do that same thing as Chazelle and um, make a ton of money and make make good movies. Um, I didn't see. Do you see Black Panther? I did. You like it? It's excellent. Yep. Yeah. And he's uh, he's doing the second one. He's back. Oh, they're doing another one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, of course they are. Um, man, where do you, where do you go from there? Oh wait, oh, that's right. Chadwick Boseman was Black Panther. Yep. And Michael B. Jordan played Eric Killmonger. <laughs> Correct. He's the villain. He does a really good villain. I remember I was saying something, something like, like Black Panther's gonna suck. What's what's uh, Michael B. Jordan's name in it? Like John Killington. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty pretty close actually. Um, but yeah, Mike, Michael B. Jordan is is on. You know, I, I understand. I understand the the allure of of comic book movies and why even directors would want to make them but i almost feel like he has to put three years of his career into making one if not more and i wish that he was making more along the lines of fruitvale station yeah it's just a selfish way because it it bothers me a little bit when really talented filmmakers are making cgi movies it just bothers me which is why that's going back to me not wanting carrie fukunaga to do bond because that's going to be like a huge production yeah yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I just... I mean, unless it's like the darkest Bond ever. <laughs> in, a, in a really weird way, I would love to see Kevin Smith. I mean, he directs like Supergirl on TV and right now or whatever, but I'd like to see him direct a comic book movie. Yeah. Like in, mm-hmm. a, in a weird way. Right. Much like, I mean... I, gotta, I wonder how old Kevin Smith is. He's no, he's, over, he's definitely over 40, but basically yeah. all the success came before he was... Uh, before he was he was 40. We'll have to, we'll have to do a show just on, on him alone. But... Yep. um. um yeah, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of talented, uh, talented filmmakers under under forty right now. So, yeah. So, and we're even talking about like, we've touched on this so many times, but like Spielberg, like some mm-hmm. of his best stuff was under forty. Yeah. What about um, going back to our boy Scorsese? What did what did he do under thirty? Do we know? Uh, well, he he made um, who's that knocking on my door uh, in college? So he was. 21 or 22 right um and that, that was actually i think i talk about this um keep an eye out for this scorsese episode which will be out soon but i think i talk about it it was one of the first movies roger ebert ever reviewed like yeah. it, it was at a chicago film festival is where it opened and ebert like it just started <laughs> at the chicago sun times um and he kind of wrote in the review like this guy's gonna make really good movies um what was like mean streets yeah mean streets was his that would have been his uh let me see here that would have been 74 so who's 34 I guess when he directed no it was Mean Streets seventy four Mean that, Streets is seventy right. three yeah so he was he was under forty when he when he made Mean Streets um he was thirty eight when he made Raging Bull wow That's um awesome. thirty eight uh so yeah he made four, he was born in forty two so fifty two sixty two seventy two he was thirty four when he made Taxi Driver that that's pretty impressive um wow that's really impressive I mean. All right, so who's over at 40 just putting out gold? Well, I think the Coen brothers. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Coen brothers, Paul Thomas Anderson, is now over 40, yeah. um, probably doing doing equally as, as good work. Um, yeah, Scorsese's a little bit too old right now, but uh, um, I think that a lot of the guys who, who fall into my, you know, my, my favorite director uh, wheelhouse are, are probably – I don't know in their in their fifties or sixties at this point, um, and in some older guys like Michael Haneke, I like I like his movies. He's like 
80 square oh, yeah, when right, something yeah. comes out from him. Um, he's a little bit older. But, yeah, this is that's a pretty impressive uh, run that Scorsese had before he was 40. Um, of course, he almost didn't make it till his 40th birthday. He was like – he was in rehab when um, when De Niro gave him the book, Raging Bull. And that's kind of what turned turned him around. For what? Cocaine. I did not know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Scorsese uh, – well, he's got that big nose. He had to put it to use. Oh. Yeah. He's Italian. I'm allowed to say that as an Italian. Uh, that's um, true. I have a big nose. Yeah, now, now I'm like, I was struggling so hard to think of directors under 40. Now I'm just struggling to think of directors over 40 that I really like. <laughs> I really like. <laughs> All right. Is, I think the is, verdict is uh, everyone makes their best stuff under 40. Uh, yeah. That's what we can take from this podcast. This Hold on, I just want, now, I, now I need to check one more thing to see how old. I'm going to see how old Joel Cohn was when he made... Uh, Fargo. So Joel Cohen was 54, 64, 74, 84, 94. He was 42 when he made Fargo. So still right. incredibly still impressive. Close, yeah. yeah, maybe we should have done under 30. Oh, that would have really been, a, <laughs> been a, that would have been Michael B. Jordan Xavier and Dolan Damian and... Chazelle. Yeah. <laughs> or not Michael B. Jordan, uh, Ryan Coogler. Yeah. yeah, that would that would have been a small net. Um, but it would be interesting to look at actors and actresses under 30. Yeah. See, see who's, who, who's got next. All right. All right, that was, that was a long one. That was, that a, long was a long one. There. Should we omit the uh, movie recommendations tonight? <laughs> Do you have any? Uh, I don't even have one. I mentioned as um, always. I mentioned at the end of the tour. Is that what's called the end of the tour? That's yeah, the, uh, there you go. And I'll uh, use First Man as mine. There you go. Recommendations done. Podcast over. Episode Podcast four. Podcast over. Uh, we're on We're on stuff now, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I'll tell you in the next episode. <laughs> we're just, on just Instagram. Let, Instagram, on Instagram, Talking Picture Talk. Talking Picture Talk. That's that's one to hit. Yeah. All right. All right. See you next time. Later.